Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming back with us after the half-term break. Uh, This is going out on the 28th of February, so we're about to go into March and the sunnier, well, I say sunnier, the lighter days are starting to return. And so hopefully that'll give you a bit of a spring in your step as you are back in school or if you've already been back in school for a week. Of course, there are some of you which uh, broke up a bit earlier than I did. I had a bit, a bit of a later half-term than some, but there are many that had the half-term last week too. So I thought we'd get the episodes back up and running on uh, this week. Uh, and so hopefully these uh, episodes will give another spring in your step as you uh, return back to work in a wonderful profession that you do. Uh, this week, uh, we sat down with Aidan Severs, um, who has some fantastic uh, thoughts around primary education. For those of you that have been on Twitter for a little while, you may remember Aidan uh, as uh, that bo- as the Twitter handle that at that boy can teach. And now he is uh, moving into a different part or phase of his primary education journey. And so we're very excited to have him on the podcast to share some of the fantastic thoughts around well-being, uh, around curriculum design, uh, around a number of areas in primary education that he thinks are really, really important. And so uh, let's sit back and relax and enjoy the conversation that we had with Aidan Severs. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Aidan Severs. How are you doing today, Aidan? Hey, Matt. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, it's an absolute pleasure. You've been recommended by a couple of people, and so I was very excited uh, to have you on the podcast on Primary Education Voices today. Let's begin, Aidan, with your quick fire questions, as we always do. Um, what is your Twitter handle? So it's at Aidan Severs, and Aiden is spelled A-I-D-A-N uh, as opposed to E-N, which is the another common spelling of my name. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's good. And I'm going to make sure I correct that on my notes as well, because whilst <laughs> I know that, I wrote it down wrong. So uh, thank you very much for uh, making sure I'm right on that. Um, how many years have you been in primary education, Aiden? Uh, this is my 16th year. Excellent. And uh, in those 16 years, what kind of roles and responsibilities, what's been your primary journey along that way uh, that you've been on? Class teacher, foremost. Uh, That was in year three to begin with, although I applied for a year two job because I had trained and specialised in Key Stage 1. But when it came to it, they said, do you want this job? And I said yes, because it did didn't feel that different to year two and I wanted a job as you do when you're sort of fresh out of uni so I did year three for three years and then I moved into year five uh, I did that for a couple of years moved school went into year four after a year of year four I did the unthinkable and requested a move to year six and the rest is history really a couple of years in year six at that school moved to another school where I became an assistant head and also year six teacher um, year five, six phase there and um, yeah I always taught in, in year six at that school I then moved to become a year three four phase leader uh, I think that was while still having teaching commitments up in year six And at the same time, I was primary lead practitioner across our 
and that which was the Dixon's Trust in Bradford. As part of that role, I worked in all the primary schools in the Dixon's Trust, where I kind of worked with the school that I ended up in, where I finished just before Christmas as the head. Uh, they were in need of a new deputy as the deputy deputy had stepped up into the head uh, role. So at that school, I was uh, Upper Key Stage 2 phase leader again, doing lots and lots of teaching year five and six. At that point when I joined, there were no year five or six children. It was the first cohort. So we kind of built Upper Key key Stage 2 from scratch there. And uh, I led on curriculum at that point. Going back, I also led on maths, I led on reading, I led on art. That was the curriculum as a leader. Great. Um, that's fantastic. So it sounds like uh, from, from what you were just saying, there are a lot of subjects there, which is uh, fantastic. And like you mentioned, that yeah. moving to year six, once you've gone in there, it's hard to get out. I, I started in my first year in year Definitely. six and have been struggling to out ever since so uh <laughs> so yeah well, well once you've got a good year six teacher you don't really want to let them go do you <laughs> that's if why one knows the ropes then they're yeah. such an asset in year six yeah that's why i hear um so that's fantastic <laughs> that's great uh, and as you mentioned there aiden you've kind of led on curriculum you've led on maths reading art m- m- loads of the the areas of cur- curriculum in uh, primary what is your favorite subject and why Oh, I'm so terrible at picking favourites of anything, honestly. Favourite films, favourite songs, favourite food, I can't do it. Um, but favourite subject to teach. I'm I'm going to go with, I'm going to say maths. I, I, I love teaching most things, really. But maths was one that at school I really got with. And I... I didn't really understand a lot of maths, particularly when I got to secondary school. Um, My dad did a solid effort of trying to help me at home, but it just was very frustrating. So I found things very difficult to understand. And what I learned as I became a teacher was that I think the way I'd been taught was not the way that I needed to learn it. So I needed to understand the ins and outs of the mechanics of it, what was going on. I've, I was, wasn't very good at memorizing things to do with maths, but I could always work them out. Mm. Um, and so I think that's really influenced how I teach maths. Always aware that if you just teach a, a trick, um, you, you aren't teaching the inner workings of the maths. I always kind of visualize it as like an old school clock where you open it up and there's all the, the mechanisms inside and so that is what I tried tried to do and reveal those inner mechanisms and allow children perhaps you don't have that memory of facts so for example I'm not very good at memorizing the times tables but I've got loads of little um, shortcuts and ways of working so for example I have memorized the square numbers and I can work forwards or backwards from them and so on and I think that reveals actually a better understanding of maths than just having rote learned so that's why I love teaching maths on another day I might have given you another answer but I'll, I'll go with that one for today 
Yeah, I love that. And I think often it is often the ones where we have that personal journey and we have to kind of develop it in a different way that we start to get to love more because we've worked really hard and, and seen success there. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's great. Uh, in your own education, uh, Aidan, did you have a favourite teacher and who were they? Do you that spring to mind? Um, I'll, I'll mention a couple. That's all right. Of course. Uh, one was... Uh, Mrs. Ashworth at my first primary school, who kind of just nurtured my love for reading and story. Uh, And with me and a friend and her used to stay in at break times talking about The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and things like that, which at the time, I don't think I was reading myself, but I think my dad was reading them to me. And that was something that my dad did like into being a teenager really he was still reading things to me and another one was actually the head teacher at my second primary school Mr Clough who was just (laughs) he was just this larger than life character and he used to do these great big um art murals for the display in the hall and so you might you know you might have been lucky enough to be chosen by him to go in there and you'd get your shoes and socks off and he did he'd have attached all the pieces of paper and laid them out on the hall and then you'd paint this like giant scene of a kind of a victorian christmas street or something like that uh and it just felt so good to be chosen to do that and he used to do things like come into the classroom what you're learning about oh potential and kinetic energy he'd pick up an elastic band and he'd well he did this once but it sticks in my head so much pulled the elastic band back that's potential energy pinged it across the classroom that's kinetic energy <laughs> and you're like have i forgotten the difference between those two no uh, so yeah i remember him fully. excellent that's brilliant thank you so much sounds like they had a great influence in there for, for a number of reasons as well that's great uh, and finally if you had to aiden uh, or um, what after school club would you run Okay, I'm not very sporty, um, so I'd go for something like maybe Lego. I love Lego, uh, oh. so I let got, got some massive bags of Lego because I used to run a, a non-school-based Lego club in our local village hall, um, and I just love, yeah, I love that. It's not really about the building. It's about sitting around that big bag of Lego and kind of just having those conversations seeing what the the kids come up with and how they're inspired by different pieces and things like that so i think yeah lego club that's the one for me that's a great shout and you know what my son if uh, if he was working in a school where you were doing a lego club he'd be one of the first to sign up he's not he's not really one for you know staying after school because you know what he, he wants to get out of school and get home and do his own thing but if there was a lego club he'd be there so that's a really good shout yeah um, there's, there's always kids like that they're, they're my people <laughs> brilliant well <laughs> let, let's move on then and talk about how how did you get inspired to become part of and involved in primary education in the first place then Aidan yeah so my story is not the sort of I always wanted to be a teacher I played teachers as a kid it's not that um, I I was quite disillusioned, I think, when it was, when I was at sixth form. I wasn't really 
that much enjoying being in education. I was kind of doing it because that's what you do. You go to sixth form and then you go to uni. So when it came time to think of what I was going to do at uni, I really didn't know. And before that, I, like I said, I didn't have any designs on becoming a teacher, but but quite a few family members and family friends. I, couldn't have, I was the oldest of my siblings, the oldest of my cousins and everything. Um, and everyone said, you're really good with kids. You know, we had um, friends from church, families, and I'd look after their kids and things like that. And they all just said, you know, you're really good with kids, but you really get on with them. You, you should think about doing something that involves children. So the kind of obvious thing was teaching. Mm. Secondary teaching wasn't for me. I'm on August birthday and I felt like if I went to uni and started out on placements, I would be barely any, you know, there'd be a big difference between me and the eldest kid in a set school. So I went for primary. Um, and I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad that there were people around me who were perceptive enough to to see that in me because I didn't have a clue myself. And yeah, thankfully, I went to uni, did a four-year course, loads and loads of placements, and I did well enough. I mean, I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't a high flyer. I was enjoying uni for all the other benefits of it as well. But I did, I did all right, and I got good feedback, particularly on placements. So um, my dad always reminds me that I said that I'd probably just do it for a couple of years and then do something else. Um, but that obviously has not been the case. And I've, I've since just, I don't know, it's become a, a love and interest of mine, I suppose, almost a hobby in some ways. Great. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think, like you say, um, being able to um, get involved and just be part of a wider discussion and a wider community as well of teachers is just one of the things that I love about primary education. I mean, I'm sure in other professions, you know, there are networks and connections and places where you can gather ideas and develop and discuss things. But it just feels like in teaching in primary education and, and secondary education, the in Twitter and many other places like that, there's just such a wide range of people to have those discussions with and just almost like you say, let it become a hobby as well as something that you do for a job to earn money. Uh, it's just a fantastic thing. Definitely. Great. Well, let's uh, let's go on then to, to the uh, your next uh, question, which is all about, you know, being in primary education, we have some uh, great experiences and things that happen along the way. What for you is one of the funny stories that you can share from your time in being in primary education? So many of the stories would, would be those kind of, you had to be there stories that, um, that make them so funny, but I'll, I'll go for one because it's just the one that sticks in my mind and for obvious reasons. So it was my first week as a deputy head. And as I said, we'd set up a brand new year five. And so it was our first cohort um, in year five. And we had two new teachers and myself as a new leader. We... I can't remember where we were going. We, we led the children downstairs. They had an upstairs classroom. I'd just come upstairs to collect the children. Um, and then I came back down. And by the time I got to the bottom of the stairs, there was a poo on the floor. 
and it wasn't there when I went up <laughs> and it was there when I got down and we just to, to this day we don't know where it came from no one owned up to it and we kind of let it slide but kind of in my right I'm deputy head I've got to do a good job how do I deal with this I just went off to the cleaning club cover stuff out sorted it all out kid you know in front of all the kids and it's just one of those things that we kind of look back on every now and then and actually when I left that school in December I was gifted a fake poo in a box just to remind me of that incident as a kind of formative incident in my time as a deputy head but this day we don't know where it came from how it how it came to be really it was just bizarre um and I'm pretty sure that most teachers have got some stories involving that kind of thing I have actually got more stories but I won't tell you those because one is disgusting enough <laughs> yeah absolutely no I think uh like you say stories like that stick in your mind uh and so um when you think about primary education just I think that one of the things I've always said to people when I say, oh, why have you gone into teaching is oh, n- not one day is the same. And I think that um, <laughs> this kind of proves that with what you've just shared there, doesn't it? <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, not every day is the same when you've had a day like that. <laughs> well, true. I mean, they could all be like that, but they're not fortunate. That was the same week. Yeah, <laughs> that was the same week when I turned up to a school trip and it hadn't been booked and we had nothing to do when we arrived there on the coach so it's not not a great start for me as a deputy head thankfully it did get better after that wow that sounds like a pretty intense first week <laughs> yeah. brilliant well thanks so much for sharing that aid and it's uh it's given me give me a good chuckle there um right let's move on uh, to your primary three then so this obviously forms the main part of our podcast it forms our main discussion and it's three things for any uh, listeners that may be listening for the first time. Three things about primary education that the guest feels very imp- that are very important. They could be ideas, philosophies, resources, uh, top tips or advice, absolutely anything. Uh, and so always love discussing these and they always seem to link really well uh, as, with, as the discussion goes on. So let's start with your first one, uh, Aidan, that you've sent me, uh, which is p- about Parkinson's law. So I'll let you describe and explain what that means. And we'll talk about why you think that's so important for primary teachers as well go ahead okay so parkinson's law is the idea that work expands to fill the time available for its completion so if you've got a day to do a job then the the work will take a a day if perhaps you only had half a day to do that job then it would take you half a day i think it links into some other ideas um around perfection being the enemy of done or uh, perfection being the enemy of perfect of of good where as teachers i think a lot of us can be perfectionists and i am you know 100 percent perfectionist i want everything to be just so and because of that you can spend so much time on a job because you want it to be perfect instead of just thinking I'm going to make sure that it's good or even I'm going to make sure that it's done. And I think there are so many requirements on us as teaching, as teachers, that we kind of believe that others are expecting that 
of us. So perhaps we think school leaders or Ofsted or the government are kind of expecting us to fill our whole entire lives with doing stuff for teaching. And there's almost this kind of um, underlying way of thinking that is that has made 24-7 the truth, like teaching is a 24-7 job. And therefore, I must conform to that. Otherwise, what will others be thinking of me? And indeed, kind of what do I think of myself if I'm not giving my all to it? And I think that can just be really dangerous. And whilst I don't blame teachers Mm. for thinking in that way, they just want to do a good job. They love the kids they work with. They know it's important. Um, It is more than a job, you know, to so many people. But I do think that it's an extent to which just do have um, the ability to take that back under control and start to manage their workload a little bit more than they think they can. And it's kind of linked to some advice that I would always give to uh, new teachers, trainee teachers as well, around the idea that there is a way of making teaching a manageable job but that if you go into it believing that it's the sort of job that you have to fill your evenings and weekends with then the potential is that that's what you do as opposed to going in thinking right I want to do a great job I love these kids I really want to do what's right for them but at the same time I need to look after myself and actually if I look after myself then the kids will get a raw deal anyway mm-hmm. so it's kind of that where there's a will there's a way if, if you want to have work clients then there are things that you can do to find that and first of all believing that parkinson's law is not um doesn't need to be the case is a good starting place so if you acknowledge that your work could take all of your time and then say, actually, I'm just going to assign a smaller amount of time to that, then you will get something done and you will be able to use that resource or teach that lesson or whatever it is without having spent all of your time preparing it. That's fantastic. And I think that, like you say, that the importance of this point that you're making is the acknowledgements, isn't it? It's the understanding that... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that... That we we have all these things to do and yes there's things that take up a lot of time teaching is a very difficult and demanding job that no one's denying that uh but like you say school Absolutely. leaders Absolutely. school leaders Ofsted or these people um you know whilst they want uh, and and need you know to have things in place I don't think that they want teachers to be run down they don't want teachers to to be having to feel like that every minute of their day no. are filled up with all these things and so I think like you say the certainly not the majority yeah, the majority, of course. <laughs> um, so in terms of that, then, once um, once someone has started to... or How do you think someone can start to acknowledge that and put some things in their in their workload or in their, their day-to-day routines? What do you think some teachers who maybe are feeling that they have so much to do and they can't possibly not fulfil all these things uh, that, they're, that they're trying to do in the way that they want to do them... Uh, I wonder if you could just give some top tips in terms of what teachers can do to try and start to manage that workload or start to manage or take control, like you mentioned, of um, of what they are trying to accomplish. 
Yeah. Okay. So I think first of all, everyone is different, aren't they? And and we have to find the things that work for us in our own context. Often that's to do with what our um, lives look like outside of school. So what our other commitments are. Uh, often for people that's around family uh, first and foremost. So finding out what works for you. When are your best times to do that work? Is it better for you to kind of stay at school and get it done? Or is it better for you to be able to leave school, do everything you need to do with the kids, for example, and then pick it up a little bit later? Um, That's the first thing to think about. Just how do you manage your time based on everything else that you've got going on? And I suggest that everyone should have other things going on. We should have things in place. As a, I, I only taught for two years before uh, we had our first child. So kind of almost right from the outset, I had an excuse for not working at home in a way, or at least something that, that in reality prevented me from working at home. And then very quickly we had two more children all within the three years. So we always had a very busy home situation that meant that work at home really an option for me. So I had to find ways around that. Uh, I think there's a, there's been a lot over the last couple of years around marking, which is obviously one of the big um, time consumers for teachers. I asked advice from my school leaders saying, you know, especially when I went to year six and there were reams and reams of pages of writing, I said, how do you do this? And the I think she was the assistant head at the time. She said, well, live marking that's your answer. Also, if you know you can't go home and mark that night, don't plan work needs marking. Um, and those two bits of advice have just been transformational. Um, I think there's there's a there's a balance as well. Another thing that takes a lot of time is resourcing. There's a balance between wasting a load of time trying to find the exact resource you want on the internet and actually just cracking on and making it. Um, and then the other side of the balance is not reinventing the wheel um, and, and not looking at all for what's out there and just thinking make everything from scratch and then you have to laminate it and et cetera, et cetera. I think kind of just, <laughs> if and actually most activities can be made in a few minutes if you really are dialing into exactly what that, activity needs to be it doesn't need to be flashy it doesn't need to be gimmicky it just needs to allow the children to practice that simple small step that you've selected for them to learn um i think another time saving bit of advice i have is to speak to colleagues and get wisdom from them i think a lot of this time we spend again time kind of reinventing the wheel perhaps trying to work things out for ourselves when we could just go down the corridor and ask the teacher who's been doing it for 10 years longer Mm. what they would do and often kind of getting that advice from them and now you've got um you know social media and things where we can ask those questions of each other as well definitely saves time too excellent 
There, there, I've just been frantically scribbling these things down because there is so much there, so many rhythm nuggets <laughs> of, uh, of inspiration and ideas, which, like you say, over the years, I mean, all the kind of pretty much all the things you mentioned there, I've started to do in my in my career, but I wasn't doing them when I first started mm. in teaching, and so therefore I was spending uh, hours and exactly. hours and hours. And um, I, I was in a similar situation to yourself in terms of family. Uh, we already had a child when I started teaching. And in my first year of teaching, uh, I had a child in the first month. So it was uh, it was pretty yeah. full on. So I could have really done with those things that you've yeah. just talked about there, uh, particularly things like don't plan work that needs marking on a day that you know that you are very busy after school as well. I mean, it makes sense. but And you can always adapt uh, learning, adapt activities uh, to yeah. be in a way. And, and hopefully, actually, at this stage, some schools are going down a route where not every single piece of page, paper needs to be marked in children's yeah. books to show feedback yeah. and things like that. And that's a whole other discussion, obviously. Um, but if, oh, if, yeah. if you're in a, a setting where that is the case, then thinking about being creative about how you can set work and do things so you don't have you know those 60 to 90 books yeah. to mark that that evening uh, yeah, is exactly. a and that and that's it as well if you know you're marking maths that night don't also learn english for that day mm. kind of stagger it mm. absolutely using that time you have thinking about how you know you can try and do like you mentioned live marking i mean that particularly in maths is a lifesaver for me because it turns from a point yeah. where I need to look to see where all the misconceptions are to a point where I can see where they are straight away. When I see that book, I know that yeah. that child needs a bit more work in that afternoon and I can deal with it that day, which is much yeah. more effective and then, than marking it myself in the yeah. night and then trying My to- top tip. Yeah, exactly. And top, top tip for live marking in maths is use that planning time that you have to create your answer sheet and so that you've got a copy of your answer seat, sheet so you can just fly down the the questions. Your TA has, the kids have, they've got, they can self-mark. But if you've not worked out the answers in advance, then you've got a lot of working out to do within the session as well. Yeah. I wouldn't teach maths without an answer sheet now. Absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned actually, and this is this is something else we could go into, but I'm also keeping an eye on my time here. The idea of having an, a, the answer sheet or to maths or whatever subject you're doing, it could be in science, mm. or you're doing some sort mm. of theory or whatever. Yeah. Um, having an answer sheet and letting the children have that before they've done the work. Some would, you know, kind of say, well, they've got the answers. That doesn't make sense. But I think I think for maths more so, mm-hmm. you can do it because they still have to show the working out. They still have to go through exactly. that process. But it just means yeah. that at the end, they're not going through three or four questions and getting them all wrong and re-embed- and embedding a misconception. They realise right. they've got it wrong at the start, so they need to go back and see, well, what do they need to do to make sure they get that yeah. right? Yeah. Like you say, we could we could have a massive chat about maths at this point and <laughs> why that supports what I said when I talked about maths earlier on. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, all these things for teachers are just real it, it nuggets of inspiration there. So thank you for sharing those. Uh, we th- recognizing at Parkinson's Law and that we do have a, a time to fill, so that we need to fill it. We're going to move on uh, to our next uh, points of our of your primary three. Uh, but yeah, um, that this is a, something else I'm really excited to talk about as well, and that is uh, Claire Seeley's uh, 3D curriculum blog. Um, so do you want to talk to us first of all about what this blog talks about where people can find it and why you think it's such a really important uh, resource for primary teachers yeah i mean ultimately you want claire on don't you talking about this because it, it came out of her mind and 
I think it's probably the blog post that I have gone back to the most out of anything that I've read on the internet around teaching. It's something that was a constant touchstone for me as I was uh, developing and redeveloping our primary curriculum. And it's just full of so much sense. And I just, I like that it kind of occupies the middle ground between the two extremes of, um, you know, we do a cross-curricular curriculum and we do discrete subjects. It's kind of the middle ground. Mm. And so the actual blog post is called The 3D Curriculum That Promotes Remembering. And it's off the back of another blog post that I have referenced a lot of times from Claire Seeley, uh, which was all about how memory works and was kind of that introduction to um, that sort of cognitive science around learning and memory. Um, so her blog is primarytimery.com. That's where you can find it. And if you just see, search uh, Claire Seeley 3D Curriculum, then you will find it. What I love about this blog post is the concept of horizontal, vertical, and the other one, uh, diagonal links, which can be made within a curriculum. Mm. So she goes through and she gives some really good examples of these links, the first being vertical. So within a subject, you can have links from one year to the next. So within history, you can have links Ancient civilizations, for example, is a really clear, obvious link based on the kinds of things that are taught in primary schools. So you might come across the idea of ancient civilizations year after year, and that's a vertical link. And then she talks about horizontal links, which are links between subjects in a year. So, for example, if you are learning about um, ancient civilizations and you're learning about the Egyptians, then you might have a horizontal link into your geography where you're actually learning about the geography of Egypt and perhaps Africa and maybe some of the other surrounding um, seas and countries and things like that. So those would be horizontal links. And then the final kind of link is the diagonal links where you have links that join concepts across both year groups and across subjects. So you might look at something in history in one year, the next year you might revisit it in geography or the next year you might revisit it in PSHE or whatever. So those three kinds of links um, can be present in a curriculum that is really cleverly designed. And I think for me, the, the other thing that this blog post kind of alerted me to was that idea of concepts that I've already mentioned mm. uh, where you can have not just knowledge not just learning about things but learning about concepts all the way through your curriculum so as a response to this one of the things I did was to map concepts across our curriculum to see where children would have been gaining prior knowledge or whatever current topic they're working on i mean you need to read it if you're involved in curriculum development then you need to read this blog post absolutely uh i think like you say the best thing listeners can do at this stage after having heard the brilliant kind of summary from yourself is to go read it because 
Um, mm. You know, this this whole idea on curriculum design, which is becoming more and more an important thing, and rightly so, making sure that we're, we're providing not just an enriching and engaging curriculum, but a, a knowledgeable and, and, and in-depth curriculum as well that is kind of sequentially planned through a school yeah. uh, is so key. And so kind of those, making sure those links are all there, those vertical, horizontal and diagonal links uh, mm. are really important. And I think that, um, it, and I mentioned to you, uh, Aidan, I've not actually read this blog yet, but um, I'm going to be going to go read it straight away once we finish this, because yeah. I think that, I'm aware of these concepts of horizontal, vertical, diagonal links, and I've been explaining it to the, to the senior leadership at my school. But what I really needed was someone that kind of really knows fully what they're talking about <laughs> to yeah. have that behind and help my understanding more. And this sounds like that Claire has really done that. She has, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, but yeah, uh, any other final thoughts on curriculum? I know that obviously you mentioned that um, you, you've kind of led on curriculum in, in your schools previously. And obviously, this is something that's very important to you in terms of making those links. Um, just mm. any thoughts on what teachers can do, maybe perhaps if they're not in that curriculum role, that they can start to think about in terms of how they can apply this to their classrooms now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, I think the ideal is to have a curriculum which has been totally planned with these links in mind. Um, but if you're currently working under a curriculum model that doesn't have that, then what you can do as a teacher is to identify those links for yourself. So most schools, if not all, will have that long-term plan of what has been taught, certainly what uh, the intention is of what, what has been taught. And you can go back over that and think about the topic, the unit um, that you're currently teaching and think about where in the past children might have come across uh, ideas and concepts that you are then going to build on it's all about building that schema so the idea that we learn by building onto previous knowledge kind of going back to lego again you kind of building that wall on the foundations of what you've learned before and all those individual bricks come together to create an even bigger piece of learning and so you know get things like ancient civilizations is an obvious one if you're teaching um the indus valley civilization then you might want to remind children that they've learned about other ancient civilizations the greeks the romans um and so on and then kind of tease out some of what they learned before and say well maybe make some comparisons what was similar what was different and just just tying the new learning in to some old learning so that can be done even if those links have not been deliberately planned and then obviously the easier job is to make those links within your year group so you know what the journey is through the year that you teach them so the more links you can build in yourself there then the better chance children have of um, learning that new material um, and then there's some obvious implications for how you can keep on uh, keeping that material fresh, even from prior units. So with your retrieval practice kind of activities and so on. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, like you say, it, the ideal, of course, is that there is a whole school approach to this and that, you know, this is all planned yeah. out and linked for teachers. Teachers shouldn't have to be going on to kind of your, your favorite social media platform, be asking for planning on a, on a unit of work because 
those um, key knowledge, those key points of understanding that you want the children to have should be in place as a school. But if they're not, yeah. uh, and it, you know, in many cases they won't be at this stage, uh, then think mm-hmm. how you can make those links certainly uh, horizontally across your subjects diagonally between um you know moving on from previous year groups what they've done into your year group in yeah. different subjects yeah. it is possible to do it does take some thought but and and that's why we Definitely, should have these yeah. curriculum leads you know and and subject leaders kind of planning this out for us but if it's Absolutely. not in place then we can start to think about how we can start to make those links and learning will be more embedded as we do that um that's the idea yeah Thank you so much for that. Let's move on then to the final of the primary three then, uh, which is some advice uh, that you have for teachers, which is about it's what you do, not the way that you do it. Um, so very interested to hear your thoughts on this and uh, to have a good discussion around that. Do you want to lead on with what you think about this, Aidan? Yes. So obviously it takes a, a common phrase and turns it on its head, which is it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. But I think in teaching it really is the opposite and i'm thinking particularly of when you try to take advice from another teacher and you maybe you go and watch them and you see how they do it and you come out of your classroom their classroom go back to yours and you kind of try to imitate what they've done um and actually a lot of the time when we try and do that we're, we're imitating that person rather than the kind of teaching techniques that they were using and i think this is this advice is about being yourself in the classroom and working out who you are and how that translates into who you are as a teacher i certainly remember you know watching several different teachers and kind of thinking well you know i i'm not that sing-songy so i'm not really comfortable with doing that approach but going back and trying to do it anyway but I think it just came across as quite disingenuous and quite fake and I think children see through that I think children sense the insecurity of a teacher who's not really being themselves and that puts them on edge and it and it makes them feel like you know there's not some something's not quite right something's not quite genuine um and so it's about first of all working out who you are you know if you're an introverted person you don't have to be an extroverted person in the classroom although teaching is partly to do with acting um it's not all to do with that and it's even a a good actor i think will put themselves into the role that they're playing in some way or another and so it's it's having that confidence to be yourself but then being able to go into those other lessons or to to take those bits of advice from other teachers and actually dig down into what it is that is working there for them. So it might not be the fact that they're really funny and the kids all think they're hilarious and that they've built this really good relationship around that. It's more likely to be the fact that they have broken the learning down into small enough chunks and they they don't expect the children to practice what they've been taught before having had it modeled to them and before having loads of shared experiences of completing that task or whatever it is mm. um what what we tend to do is latch on to the more uh kind of the the outward appearance of 
happens when we see another teacher in action mm. and we try to replicate those more than we try to replicate the things that are really making a difference and so yeah my advice is it's not it's not about how you do something it's more to do with what it is you're doing mm. yeah i think that that's a some really interesting insight there because obviously uh as early career teachers and previous newly qualified teachers um you were expected to to have some of your time focused on observing other members of staff and i remember yeah. kind of that experience and going not really having been told what to look out for not really having been told you yeah. know what to to see um just kind of going and, sit and just trying to take in this whole experience and go right so i need to go do what this person's doing because they've been teaching for 10 plus years yeah uh, yeah. And I think there's 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 a real paradox at play because as a, a more novice teacher, we don't know what to look for. So we just look for the things that are obvious and the things that are going to be most obvious to us are the things that are the, the personal attributes of that person because that's how we're used to relating to one another. And then as an expert or someone who's more experienced, you kind of look at your own practice and you go, mm, not really sure what I'm doing that works here but I just know that it it does and so sometimes as an expert teacher you can be not much help to a more novice teacher because you can't really put your finger on what it is that you do know mm. um, and I think the the other thing that comes into play here is that we everybody has an experience of teachers so you come into teaching already having been taught by tens of teachers in your lifetime and you're thinking back you know I might think back to my the two teachers I mentioned earlier and think right I really want to be like them but I might get it totally wrong because if you think back to the examples I gave it was way more about the personality mm. of those teachers than it was what they did as teachers to teach um and, you know, we see teachers in the media, we see them in films and books. We've, we've got these teachers who have spent their childhood years playing at teachers and pretending to be teachers. You know, we, we come to teaching with an idea of what teaching is, but quite a lot of the time, I think we need to lose a lot of that knowledge and kind of start afresh and, and think about what it is that really, really does matter and does make a difference. Absolutely. And I think, like you say, a lot of this is reflecting on who you are. Who are you as a teacher? Mm. Uh, and, yeah. I, and this is actually something that's come a few times in different episodes uh, on Primary Education Voices. Yeah. But it seems to be something which underpins a lot of what you do. And something you just mentioned as well is that those relationships are key. But the way you develop those relationships will be different to many of the teachers, oh. perhaps, in your school. Um, Absolutely. You know, the, the the kids will know who the the funny teacher is, or the kids will know yeah. who yeah. the teacher is is that who is really caring and pastoral and and warm, yeah. and the kids will know who is the teacher that explains things really well and it kind of goes yeah. through that, that process. Yeah, Th they're and, all and children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Children won't come to your class, you know, in September, wanting a carbon copy of their previous teacher. Mm. They just want someone who's real. Mm. 
you know, it might be the case that they really liked Mrs. So-and-so last year because she was really funny. Yeah. But they're not just coming and looking for another funny teacher. They're looking for somebody who they feel safe with, who they feel that they can learn with, who they feel like I can spend time with this person because we have to. Um, and, and they're only going to find that in teachers who are genuinely being themselves i think yeah and so it's it's kind of a relief that you don't have to try and be all those other teachers you just have to be who you are but you find that version of yourself that exists in the classroom that's what children want and need yeah and i think i agree to a point of what you said i do think that perhaps and this is something that's kind of happened in the past as well that i've kind of seen with other teachers and because you always get you know the odd slip of a child when they say Oh, how they prefer a certain teacher and I think mm. that they can certainly yeah. prefer a teacher that they've had in the past because that that the way they relate to other children to, to the children resonates with them personally but yeah. what you say though is is right completely right in the sense that they won't expect that teacher to be just like you or just like that other teacher no. but they may they may well have like like we mentioned actually one of the questions I ask on this podcast is as you mentioned who's your favorite teacher so, and that's mm. because they resonated with you in the way that they yeah. made those relationships. That doesn't mean that other teachers you had weren't good teachers and made good relationships in other no. ways. No, and I could I could follow on from those teachers and tell you who I had next and who I had next and, and what was great about them and what I appreciated about them. You know, one loved my artwork. The next one, um, I loved the, the music lessons he did. You know, there's there's always something new with each teacher and that is always based on them being themselves. And I think just to kind of round this discussion off is I think the challenge that for some teachers that they may have, particularly teachers I've noticed who are new to a school perhaps or early career teachers, they sometimes feel kind of um, disheartened when they, they hear children say things about other teachers and what they yeah. like about the other teacher. And that could be really hard. But I think that, yeah. uh, but what you need to understand as a teacher is that that's because that's just how that teacher builds relationships. Yeah. You just be genuine. Yeah. You be yourself. Do all the good teaching and learning things that we can learn from evidence-based practice or evidence-informed yeah. practice. And you do those things and they'll start to understand how you build relationships. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Those evidence-informed practices, they kind of can stay the same, whoever you are. Mm. It's what you put on top of that that yeah will develop those relationships brilliant well thank you uh, Aidan that's been really really fascinating a great discussion to have uh, we're going to round off with our final couple of questions and uh, so th uh, thank you for your time who would you recommend uh, for a future interview on this podcast oh uh, well as we talked about before there's loads of people I'd like to recommend but I think I'm going to keep it simple and say get Claire Seeley on if you can and talk to her about curriculum because it will be without a doubt really useful for everyone all of your listeners Matt fantastic yeah as I mentioned to you before I have been in contact with Claire and she want, and she is interested in coming on the challenge with Claire is uh, pinning down that time so uh, yeah. do what I'll do what I can yeah. thank you very much pin it down <laughs> brilliant well and and I'd, uh, Aiden, it's been very good it's been great to have you on uh, for the final question uh, as we always ask all our all our guests what for you is the best thing about being in primary education oh it's fun 
you get to work with kids and kids are hilarious. I know sometimes frustrating, but um, th- those those good times in the classroom where you've built those relationships and you're really in that flow. I really like that concept of flow. You know where the hours just disappear and you've really kind of nailed down your teaching, you've nailed your relationships and just those moments where you're suddenly like, oh man, it's three o'clock and uh, the day has just whizzed by because you you genuinely have been having fun. That's, that is what I loved initially and still love now. And probably as time goes on, you know, in my current role, I will miss more and more, I think. Mm. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, and, and, and honestly, uh, thank you for the great conversation that we've had. I've taken loads of notes from this. Thank you. Uh, and so for myself, it's been brilliant to kind of reflect and uh, think about things in that. And I'm sure many of our listeners will enjoy this episode as well. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, Aidan, so. for your time. Thanks for coming on to Primary Education Voices. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's been- Well, once again, another fantastic chat. Um, I love Primary Education Voices. I love doing this podcast. And it's talking with people like uh, Aidan, which give me the excitement and the uh, the enthusiasm to be able to have these discussions. Uh, it was really a fully packed episode, this. And I'll be honest, at the start, I was a bit worried because we were having some connection issues. Uh, we were recording this just after uh, we've had kind of three storms Uh, So Storm Franklin was kind of just passing away uh, at this moment. And so I do have to wonder if that's the reason why we were having some of those um, technical issues. So I'm hoping that I've been able to edit out as much of the the kind of the the jumping and the the bits of missing audio that I've been that there was. Uh, But it did uh, kind of sort itself out uh, partway through. So I was really pleased about that because the discussion with Aidan was really a fantastic one. And so, um, yeah, where do I begin? Just obviously his primary three were a fantastic collection of, uh, of insights and ideas and resources uh, for teachers to really enhance the way that they teach in the classroom. Um, Parkinson's law. I mean, this is probably uh, one of the biggest things that if you are not thinking of or acknowledging right now that you can start to do and it'll have one of the biggest impacts on your teaching um, career. Because as I kind of worked these things out over several years of teaching myself, I'm now at the pay, this the stage where I can do these things to make sure I balance my my life, my workload, uh, work smarter, as we talked about with uh, with Mr. P just in the last uh, episode, uh, but do it in a way which supports you as a teacher in the classroom. Um, and I think that 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 was such an important point made by Aidan was the key is is acknowledging that we can take control of our work life balance. Yes, there are a lot of uh, kind of pressures on our time. But we can do certain things to make sure that we can avoid having that burnout. Um, and I've kind of moved from a stage where I was working to about midnight, one o'clock at night, most nights to try and get things done to the stage where I can do as much as and if not more things than I was doing uh, at the early stages of my career um, and still have a healthy work-life balance uh, and even and even do a podcast all about teaching Uh, so I think that that is uh, really something that's so important if there is any listeners that would love to kind of go on that journey a bit more I'm sure that Aidan would be more than willing to have people message him on Twitter at Aidan Severs that's A-I-D-E-N Severs uh, as he said, uh, or myself, I'm always happy to talk to people as well that maybe feel like they're struggling under that that pressure that's building on top of them as a teacher and just find ways that they can do things to make it a bit easier for them. It certainly won't be easy, uh, 
Um, you know, I don't think that we're saying that teaching is an easy job or we, it will ever be easy, but we can do things to make it uh, a bit more manageable, I suppose is the word. Then, of course, you spoke about Claire Seeley's 3D curriculum blog and this idea of vertical um, links, um, horizontal links and diagonal links is something that's very more becoming a lot more prominent in curriculum planning. And so as uh, school leaders, I'm sure that's certainly something that you'll want to read about and think about when developing your school's curriculum. As a class teacher or, or a teaching assistant in the classroom or an early career teacher, it may be something that you want to read just to kind of get a more of an understanding of how a, what a good curriculum looks like so that you can then plan for your uh, curriculum in your classroom and start to devise ways that you can link to things from previous year groups moving forward into later year groups as well across different subjects. Um, you know, I, we didn't talk too much in detail about the blog because really the, 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 the meat of this discussion is found in that blog post. So we're talking about evidence-informed um, evidence practice. Please do go have a look at that blog. It's full of research, full of great evidence, and it will really help with your thinking around the curriculum. And finally, uh, it's what you do, not the way you do it. And I was very interested to hear what uh, Aidan had to say about this, um, about uh, what that meant, because obviously, as he mentioned, he takes a well-known phrase and flips it on its head. But I loved the way he explained that teachers need to find the way that they teach. And looking at what other teachers do, it's more about the things they do. It's what they do, not the way that they do it. That's the important thing you need to look out for. As he said, and as I made reference to it, when I was uh, early in my career, I would look at the way that teachers did things and try and do them in that way. And it just didn't work. <laughs> it wasn't me. Um, but the things they do are the key things to look out for. And so, again, if you are listening to this and you are looking at how you can develop your practice further, because, of course, you're listening to a podcast to do that, then go and look at other things, other teachers, other schools, and look for the thing, the things that they do, not the way in which they do it. And I think that will have a great impact on your teaching and learning in your classroom. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It's really a joy to do these. Uh, and now we're back into half term. We should have some more episodes coming along uh, down the pipeline in the following weeks to come before Easter. So please do look out for those. Big, big, big request to you all listening. To the quarter of you uh, that listen on Spotify, please do leave a review on there. You can now leave a review on Spotify podcasts. And so leave us a five star review, which would be fantastic just to get this uh, podcast shared out a bit further. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, which half of you are, then please do leave a review. We've got some fantastic reviews on there already. Uh, and in the future, we'll look uh, to see ways that we can develop this podcast out further. So please do um, share, um, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and uh if you have anyone that you'd love to hear on a future episode, as Aidan did, then please let me know on Twitter at Prime Edu Voices or me personally at mroberts 90 Matt. Thank you so much for joining us to hear another Prime Education Voice, and we'll see you again next time when we will meet another inspirational educator.